Hi, my name is Jonathan Darty, and I'm the founder of Gateway to Freedom, and I used to be addicted to porn and sex. Gateway to Freedom is our workshop for men who want to overcome any kind of sexual struggle or stronghold. It's conducted over three days in a safe, private setting with professional counselors and experts in dealing with sexual brokenness issues. Now, space at each workshop is limited to ensure the highest quality of personal attention. And the workshop is available throughout the year in several locations around the United States. Hundreds of men over the years have found hope and healing through Gateway to Freedom, and I believe you can too. Our next workshop is coming up September 27th through the 29th in Pennsylvania. You can register by calling 1-800-49-PURITY, that's 1-800-497-8748, or by visiting BeBroken.com. Good day, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad that you've decided to join us. My name is Jonathan, and we have back with us a guest that we've had on here before. We have MJ Dennis with us. So, MJ, welcome back to the program. Hi. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we both live in kind of the South Central Texas area. You're you're up in Austin, and I'm in San Antonio. And so, you know, we're we're recording this right at, near the end of August, and I tell you. I have to admit, MJ, I was getting so hopeful, even getting up to the end of July, that maybe we're going to have a mild summer in in Texas. And then it's like August sort of hit us with a vengeance, and we've all been melting this whole month. So I was I was just thanking God before this uh, broadcast for air conditioning. It's a wonderful invention when you live in this part of the country. That's often part of my gratitude prayer. I often thank God for air conditioning as well. Yes. Yeah. It's easy to take those kind of things for granted. And I think, you know, even just a hundred years ago, those were not, you know, conveniences that we had. But, you know, one of the things that has, has been true throughout all of the history of man is sexual brokenness, right? I mean, we can go all the way back to the very beginning in terms of just uh, what happened early on in life. And they, they often talk about, you know, prostitution being the world's oldest profession and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We know that there's been adultery, there's been all kinds of pornography, all kinds of different aspects of sexual brokenness. And what I really wanted to bring you back on the program to talk about is this specific area that we see happen with a lot of couples in our ministry is there's some kind of sexual betrayal in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm, I'm not absolutely, totally concerned with what the actual betrayal is. It could be pornography. It could be an actual affair. It could be any number of things. But basically, there has been a, a breaking of that trust in the sexual relationship. And what I'd love for you to kind of help our listeners understand is, okay, when there's been that betrayal and you recognize, okay, we've got to deal with this now, what does it look like then working through that, not just from like a recovery standpoint or even just from a healing standpoint, but now maybe there's been a little bit of movement in those areas. How do we understand and re-engage healthy sexuality in that relationship? Like how, because couples a lot of times are asking us, especially the couples that then say, you know what, we both agree that we would like to make this work, but what on earth do we do now that we've got this in our history, we've got this betrayal in our history, how do we rebuild intimacy or how do we even engage healthy sexuality? So where would you start 
with a couple in dealing with this particular aspect of healing? Um, Jonathan, I, I think there's really, there's two parts to the sexual healing. You know, one part is the individual's healing work and defining healthy sexuality on an individual level. But then the second part is the healing that happens in relationship. Um, and so even if a couple, let's say there's been infidelity, a couple's had infidelity and they decide to split up and they break up, each person is still going to do, have to do some individual healing and they'll get, they might do great healing, but they're only going to get so far. And then the rest of the healing is going to happen in relationship once they are with another person. So, so regardless of whether a couple stays together or not, they really have to tackle individual healing and redefining individual healthy sexuality. And then the couple together has to define what is our definition of healthy sexuality. And I think I, I want to pause there for just a second because I think it's very important what you're saying here because I think sometimes what, what we've also seen in our ministry with some couples is out of that pain of the sexual betrayal, they sort of get deceived into thinking that if I just now remove myself from this person who either has caused the betrayal or been the recipient of the betrayal, if I just essentially, if we just end that relationship, that sort of just kind of magically, we can then move into a different relationship and be healthy. And what I'm hearing you say is saying, no, 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 whether you work on that existing relationship with the person that you're with, or you move into a different relationship with somebody else, the aspect of understanding and learning how to engage healthy sexuality has to be addressed both individually and then ultimately in relationship, either with the person that you've been with or even if you go into a new relationship. Is that right? Yes. That's so I think I it's important that listeners hear that because otherwise a lot of times they have this escapism mentality. Like if I just get away yes. from this person, everything will be okay. And we take our problems with us, don't we? Yeah. No matter where we go. So the healing has to happen. It, you know, really, I think something I've learned over the years of being a counselor and working in this field of recovery, you know, recovering after infidelity or betrayal is that there's, there's a limited amount of healing that can be done individually. And then we really do need to tackle that third part of healing, kind of that chapter of healing happens in relationship. So we can talk today about what can individuals do themselves and then what do couples do and how can they heal? Maybe break it down a little bit that way. And I think I'd, and I would prefer to, to even weight it more towards what we do in relationship. And the reason is, is yeah. because we, uh, we talk ad nauseum, according to some of our listeners, about a lot of the individual stuff, right? Like what maybe uh, uh, the, the addict maybe needs to do in terms of recovery, what the person who's been traumatized needs to do in terms of healing. And, and I feel like we, just, we don't have as much conversation about what you're saying is the healing that has to occur in relationship. Um, so yeah. first of all, though, before we get into that, let's just try to take a step back. We've mentioned it a few times, the term healthy sexuality. Mm -hmm. If to try to give maybe sort of just a working definition for our conversation, how would you help a person understand what we mean when we're saying, you know, healthy sexuality? 
because I think some people would talk, would think about that maybe initially in terms of like just an individual, like, hey, I'm a sexual being, so I have sexuality. What does healthy sexuality look like to, for me? But then we're also talking about couples here, right? So there's a, there's a component of healthy sexuality with one another. So for the sake of our conversation, how would you maybe give kind of a working definition to healthy sexuality? Um, I, I agree with you that we do need to define this. And so frequently I hear, um, I hear people saying, I don't think I knew what healthy sexuality was before the betrayal. Now I'm really twisted up. Now I'm really wounded and I have no idea what healthy sexuality is. So how do we get from here to some version of healthy when I don't know what that is? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, I was thinking about our conversation today and thinking, you know, where, where do people go to find the definition of healthy sexuality. Um, I went to the World Health Organization's uh, definition because I was thinking, you know, well, yes, as a Christian, we, we look to the Bible and we get some of our guidelines there. Um, and of course, how to be human and how to be in relationship and how to be sexual beings. But I thought, what is the secular answer to this? And And so I went to the World Health Organization, and they have a definition for sexual health. And so I wrote it down. Let me share it with you. Um, It says, sexual health is a state of physical, mental, and social well-being in relation to sexuality. It requires a positive and respectful approach to sexuality and sexual relationships, as well as the possibility of having pleasurable and safe sexual experiences, free from coercion, from discrimination, and from violence. And you know what? And I would actually say, just on its face, looking at that definition, I go, hey, I'm totally in line with that, yeah. As even as a Christian. We, we will have, I'll come from a, I'll interpret that and manifest that in a different way through my Christian worldview than somebody without a Christian worldview. But looking at it on its face, I go, Absolutely. We want to be able to say, um, you know, physical, mental, and social well-being. Yeah, that's, that's totally important to us as human beings in, re- in relation to our sexuality. Um, yeah. Having sexual relationships that are pleasurable and safe, free from coercion, discrimination, violence, absolutely. Now, the context that then I would put that into as a Christian is I'd say, yeah, and I believe that God has defined the relationship in which you can experience that you know, you're, you're, that he wants us to experience that freedom from coercion and discrimination and violence, and that would be marriage. But again, I think on its face, this is not, this is not, um, I think sometimes when people want to sort of pit the Christian worldview against the secular worldview, we automatically think, as Christians sometimes, that everything that a secular worldview could come up with would automatically be horrible and, and like damaging. Right. And I think the reality is, is that I believe even as a Christian, we're all made in the image of God. So there is a sense within us of actually desiring justice and what is good. And you know what I mean? So again, I look at this and I go, okay, for those, for some of our Christian listeners that as soon as you said World Health Organization, like turned it off, uh, turned off the program, like, hey, listen a little longer because, you know, we can learn something from this. Right. And I think, you know, the Christian principles and even the World Health Organization's principles behind this definition are probably pretty closely aligned. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Your values of respect, of safety, um, of caring and loving well. Um, I think probably foundationally we're on the same page. Yeah. But the words are different, right? <laughs> right. But I think it is important to have a, a framework of what it means to have healthy sexuality. Um, because I think sometimes what we find in our ministry a lot of times is people have a very clear definition of what healthy sexuality is not. And sometimes you know, it's like, people, Jonathan, I think need to get clear on what healthy sexuality isn't, right? Sometimes people, if they can go to, it is not this, then they can start determining, well, then what is it? Right. And the thing is, and so some, some of us got, like in my case, some of us got fooled real early on by things like pornography and other kinds of things that were, that are sort of seen even in the culture as, hey, nothing damaging about that, no big deal. And we start to think, well, okay, so part of healthy sexuality is I got I to gotta sprinkle a little porn into my life. Well, what we're finding on the back end of that now is that, wow, you know what? That really creates a damaging wedge in a relationship. When you're trying to actually build an intimate relationship with somebody and you're consuming pornography, what you thought was meant to be an enhancement to your relationship, we're now discovering, okay, so that's not healthy sexuality. That's actually damaging my relationship. Right. So, so now that you, now that a a couple or even an individual might have a, an idea of, okay, so porn isn't healthy sexuality. Then they turn and go, well, what is it? Because it's like, I feel like I've kind of been duped my whole life by things kind of with a porn mindset. And now I'm trying to figure out what's its opposite. Like, what does it look like to now engage healthy sexuality? Because obviously it wasn't porn. Yes. And so I think that's where this kind of definition can start to kind of give at least a framework of something positive and something that is good and like, oh, okay, I, I get it. Yeah, there shouldn't be violence in a sexual relationship. There shouldn't be coercion um, in a healthy sexual relationship. Right. You know, as I, Jonathan, as I was breaking this down and thinking, okay, sentence by sentence, how, how does this play out for couples who have experienced infidelity or betrayal? Um, what gets impacted in this definition and then how do they how do they move forward with some kind of health and so i was thinking about um you know the first sentence where it says sexual health is a state of physical mental and social well-being in relation to sexuality when couples have experienced infidelity um they don't have physical mental and social well-being in relationship right. to sexuality right instead it can become quite sex negative, where sex is seen as um, something bad, this sexual wounding has happened. And remember a trauma symptom, right? When, when somebody's been traumatized, a trauma symptom is avoidance, right? We will avoid people, places, and situations that remind us of the traumatic event. So if we've had, if we've been betrayed, or a person has um, been sexual outside of our relationship, then trauma dictates in some ways we avoid sexuality um, and so right there we can see how the health becomes damaged mm -hmm. from the betrayal and and then we we also see how difficult that is for the person who's been betrayed right because now they have in this same person that they're in relationship with a person that they have established on some level a deep love for Yes. And now a person that causes a triggered response of trauma 
And you know what I mean? So it creates a real difficulty. And that's why I think what we're talking about here is those couples that say, hey, you know what? I, I understand that I'm, you know, I'm free to hit the highway and run away, but I actually want to make this relationship work. But now I've got this really difficult, almost dichotomy that I'm looking at in this other person, somebody yeah. that I love, but somebody that has triggered, that now triggers a trauma response in me. And that... And that's a difficult thing to overcome. Yes. And, and you're describing that. Um, I call it, come here, go away. Where the heck are you going? Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. right. The person we love, come here, come toward me. Oh, no, you're the source of pain and betrayal. Go away. Where are you going? Come back over here. Where the heck are you going? Mm -hmm. Right. And so couples um, experience this come here, go away dance. Um, as especially as they're right, they're trying to recover. If they've decided, hey, let's try to work this out. Let's try to heal our marriage, um, and then we're going to we're going to try to be sexual in this recovery season. And it's very common for a betrayed partner to go, "Come here, I want you close. You're my attachment figure." And then they get hit with trauma responses, and mm -hmm. they push away, and they're distressed by that process. I don't, I'm distressed bringing you close, and I'm distressed pu pushing you away. And then, of course, the betrayed partner is spinning in circles, and I don't even know what to do. Right. But I would see here, too, in this definition here of sexual health being a state of physical, mental, and social well-being, that we, since we have now a clear picture of, okay, that's what sexual health is. It, 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 there needs to be physical, mental, and social well-being. So if you have a positive framework like that, now you can have, in essence, kind of something you're aiming for, right? Okay, you know that that was damaged in terms of the physical, mental, and social well-being, but you're going, but wait a second, healthy sexuality is having those things in place. So yes. then therefore together as a couple, like, okay, what are the things that like, what are the boundaries? What are the things that we need to talk about? Yes. What are the things that we need to put into our relationship that create physical, mental, and social well-being? So having, again, that positive, you know, point of reference, it gives you a little bit more of a more, it gives you clear lanes that you need to now try to walk in rather than just going, okay, we know that physical, mental, and social well-being has been damaged by betrayal. And instead of just continually doing the, you know, go away, come here dance, we can go, well, what do we do to restore or even yeah. rebuild or even create a new physical, mental, and social well-being? I love that you said that because um, the restoration process has to happen. You know, I'm looking at this next sentence where it says, um, Sexual health requires a positive and respectful approach to sexuality and sexual relationships. I'm thinking of my traumatized partners who are terribly wounded and betrayed. They don't think about sex in a positive way. Mm -hmm. that's, that's part of trauma, right? It's risky. Somebody who's traumatized to feel joy or happiness for more than a moment, for a sustained amount of time, um, is sometimes impossible and tremendously risky, right? I mean, if we're happy, you know, if we feel joy, we're open, right? Ha ha ha. We just, we open ourselves up. Well, if you are traumatized, being happy and joyous is, is too risky. And it's so unsafe. Yeah. can't sustain it. And so yeah. they close up. And so to feel positively about this place where wounding has happened, um, is impossible until individual and couple healing has happened. Right? And, and, I think, 
And I think this one, especially on the positive and respectful approach, when you're, you know, what you're describing on the, the betrayed person side, the one that's been traumatized, this should be hugely instructive to the betrayer because then they can realize, okay, I, I must take responsibility for what I have done to hurt and traumatize this person. And therefore, I must take really intentional positive actions towards showing this other person that I'm committed to making a change in the patterns that led to my traumatizing of them. Does that make sense? So it's like that can go a long way then for, I think, the betrayed person seeing evidence of an initiated, sustained change in that other person to where now they can see that that other person is, is engaging their own sexuality and also the sexuality of their, their partner in a respectful way. Because when you betray somebody sexually, you have disrespected not only their sexuality, but you've disrespected your own sexuality. Because you're saying, I don't really care. I don't have a high enough view of myself to be faithful to this person that I've committed my life to. And so it's disrespectful to both parties. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I want to mention, I was thinking about both sides, the, the betrayer and the betrayed, um, they both, they both have healing to do. You know, a lot of times we'll, society will say, okay, the betrayed spouse is wounded and they have to do healing in order to step back into the sexual relationship. But the person who has betrayed for them to now step back in and be sexual oftentimes get hit with shame. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard to be sexual if you're wading through a sea of guilt and shame. Yeah. And I can speak to that because I was the one who betrayed my wife. And, and, you know, you're right. I think sometimes we have, we have thought of it as like, okay, this person that has been for lack of a better way to put it loose with their sexuality, you know, Hey, it will be no big, it will be no big deal for them once their spouse kind of works through their healing of trauma and then comes back and is ready to be in a sexual relation. No, you're right. Because the thing is, is, I mean, I, I struggled so much not physically, but mentally. Yes. Because of what I had done, I had created experiences in these other realms that, that were supposed to be experiences that I only had with my wife. Right. And so therefore now to try to be sexual with my wife in a way that is truly uh, pure and good and focused and, you know, it's like an intimate mm-hmm. was a challenge for me as well because I'm thinking yeah. I-, I want to be uh, good and faithful, but yeah. I created experiences that now I have to battle against yeah. in order to be um, in a truly intimate relationship. And like you said, there's the shame that can come with that. Now, I want to give hope out there because I think there's hope on on both sides that the betrayed person can actually work through the trauma and not be repeatedly triggered by their spouse. Absolutely. I also think that the betrayer can also work through their stuff to where you're not in a constant conflict about the shame and your own history of, of brokenness. Um, because yeah. I mean, my wife and I have even been able to work through that to where we, we do enjoy today a deeply intimate relationship and we're not crippled or tied to our past pain, but it's a process, right? It's yeah. not something that you can just say, just because I intellectually understand what's supposed to happen, what needs to happen, that I can just flip a switch and, and go there. 
right? You know, thank goodness trauma and shame are two conditions that are healable. Right, they're, yeah. Right? We don't have, they're not a sentence, right? We can and do heal trauma. There are some great interventions for healing trauma, right? I'm, currently, I'm, um, I've had great success with my clients doing a, using a trauma treatment called ETT, stands for Emotional Transformation Therapy. And I just, I thank God for the invention of ETT because it is a, a fast, efficient, very effective form of trauma treatment. And I'm seeing people who've had resistance to trauma, healing, um, quite, you know, thank you, God, quite miraculously. Mm -hmm. um, so trauma is not a sentence, it is healable. Shame is a human condition. It impacts all humans, but again, we can learn skills to become uh, shame resilient, mm -hmm. and we can learn um, techniques and skills to help our person um, get out of a shame spiral when they're being impacted by shame. So, you know, I, that's excellent news, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, we will be traumatized um, by infidelity, and we may wrestle with shame. But those things can be healed and we really can have intimacy and healthy sexuality. Yeah. Now, I know that there's no, um, you know, perfect system. You know, every relationship is unique in terms of the healing process, right? And so, but for, for the sake of couples out there that say, okay, listen, there's been trauma, there's been betrayal in our history, in our sexual history, we want to work through this. We're maybe at a stage where we're realizing, hey, we've done some work individually. What would you say is kind of the key steps, so to speak, in the process of moving back into some of the relational components of healthy sexuality? Like, what would be some of the first few things that you would advise couples to engage in to rebuild sexual intimacy in their relationship? So I am a counselor. And so the first thing that came to mind is get yourself a good counselor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's hard to talk about sex and sexuality when there hasn't been trauma, when there, yeah. we're not trying to recover after infidelity. So, so I'm thinking this, if we know we are wounded and we know this is a tender, um, very vulnerable topic. We want to have somebody, it doesn't have to be a counselor, though I, I would recommend that. We need somebody, right? We heal in relationship. So we need somebody who can hold space for us and help us manage having some of those really tough conversations because we want to create as much safety as we can, emotional and of course, physical safety around these topics. So I, I wish that for all people that they mm -hmm. could find a counselor or a a person who can counsel and hold space for them so they can have these conversations and um, help the couple um, stay safe while doing so. Yeah. And then I guess some of the things that would be important to, to talk about in those kinds of conversations is just fears. Uh, yeah. I mean, you mentioned even shame. I think there's shame on both sides then. Um, maybe even expectations. Like, hey, what are the expectations moving forward of physical intimacy and of touch and those kind of things. Um, and would you say also that then what does it look like then to begin to integrate physical touch into this process of rebuilding intimacy? Cause it seems like that almost has to be 
kind of have an on-ramp as well because I don't think you can just, again, flip a switch and say, okay, we're just going to jump back into bed together and kind of just go on as if we've put all this in the past. So, because I think, you know, there can be, like you said, certain fears and shame on both sides about re-engaging physical intimacy with each other. So, as people are finding some safe space, getting a counselor, having some conversations, what does that next phase of really beginning to integrate into physical intimacy look like, do you think? Um, I have a few thoughts bouncing in my head. Um, One of the thoughts I have is... You know, couples really, I don't know that this is the next step, but I want to say it before I forget it. It's important that couples define concepts such as monogamy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I often hear from couples, uh, we got married and we said we're going to be monogamous. I thought my definition of monogamy was his or her definition as well. I made an assumption that we were on the same page and we had the same definition. Mm. Come to find out what I thought was monogamy, he or she had a different definition. It included porn or flirting or something that I wasn't okay with. So part defining terms is actually part of creating that healthy sexuality. We actually Mm. have to wrestle with, okay, what does monogamy mean to me and what does it mean to you? What does um, um, a safe sexual space look like? For someone, it might be we need the door closed and mm-hmm. the lights off. For someone else, we need the door closed and locked and the lights on. Right. We have to talk about that. Yeah. I think that's super good. And one of the things, too, that, um, uh, that I think is important is this, and, and not to get too graphic or anything, but then to also talk about, hey, listen, we need to make sure that as we move forward, the things we are engaged in are mutually agreeable. Yes. Uh, the activities we're engaged in are mutually pleasurable. Yes. You know, this is not a space for pain or power, you know, those kind of things. Because again, especially I'm thinking because we deal with so many men, especially that have pornography in their background and pornography by its nature is a violent medium. Um, even if it isn't, uh, technically abusive, it's violent in the sense that it is a power environment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I mean, that's, it's talking about, it's about taking, not giving. It's about, you know, uh, self, not others, or that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's part of what you're talking about too in the, terms of defining the terms is even when you get to the act of sex itself, we need to make sure that there is a mutual agreement there about what we're going to do. And then I think, it's important too that there be a recognition that this is going to be a process and I think it is it needs to be okay for that activity to be stopped by either partner if there is a sense of unsafety or I'm just I'm not ready you know what I mean yes. um, what else we got just a couple minutes left what what are some other things that you would give as, as far as just encouragements and maybe even just some um, some resources possibly or, or ways that people could take some next steps in terms of um, re-engaging healthy sexuality after betrayal. Um, I, in answering that, I want to um, jump onto something you said earlier. You talked about, you used the word boundaries. And 
um, I was thinking as you were just talking. Um, part of this process is learning how to say an authentic yes and an authentic no. Mm. Right? That boundary of um, in being sexual with my person, um, I need, both of us need permission and encouragement to say yes when we mean yes and no when we mean no. And if we mean no, we don't say yes. Yeah. Because and the then, consequence of that is resentment. So, And then also it's important that whoever's hearing that uh, responds with the respect that we've been talking about, right? There needs to yes. be re a respect and an honoring of what of that yes or no. Uh, so, oh, Jonathan, that makes me think of, so, you know, I'm a sex therapist. I'm a certified sex therapist. And so we talk about these topics often. And um, a goal of sexual intimacy um, I try to help couples shift from the goal being sometimes people come in and the goal of sexual intimacy is intercourse and orgasm. And, and I try to help couples shift from that mindset to the goal is connection, pleasure, play, right? Connection. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, the big three reasons for sex, procreation, making babies, right? Procreation, maybe it feels good and it's pleasurable unity yeah. unity that connection and so from a sex therapy sensate focus process we help couples go through step by step slowly um uh, moving toward having a sexual relationship but we start by giving exercises like let's touch hands let's hold hands what is that like for you what did you like what did you not like okay now we might do a foot massage. We'll start from extremities and work our way in, developing slowly and step-by-step step vocabulary around what feels good, what doesn't, practice an authentic yes and an authentic no, um, and l mutual respect, right? We have to keep a lot of safety and we pay attention to how that feels for the other person. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, naming the, in the People who watch porn can be impacted by the, the power dynamics and with some degrees of violence. We're trying to help couples develop lots of respect and safety along with the pleasure and the play. Yeah. And I would say, you know, it, from, from the Christian worldview, when, when God talked about, you know, the two shall become one flesh, you want to talk about one of the fundamental um, uh goals, so to speak, of sexual intimacy, it is really that it's that connection of oneness, that idea that this is meant to be something that is such a mutually giving experience that in, in, that, in that union, it's almost as if individuality is lost in that act and the two become one flesh. And I think that's a great aspiration, I think, for couples to set out there. But at the same time, I think it's important that whatever stage and whatever season they're in, in terms of the healing process, to not feel like they need to be any, in any kind of hurry to reach a particular destination. Yes. Because Good. if it is about connection and it is about oneness, that is not something that is static in, in the sense that like, I'm going to reach a destination where now my wife and I are as one as we could ever possibly be in life. It's like, no, you know, you kind of, there's a fluidity of like, hey, I'm, 
you know, some days you feel closer than you do other days. And some, some seasons you feel like you're making more progress than other seasons. And especially after betrayal, I think there's a need for great persistence and patience in being able to move forward in this. But as we are uh, out of time here, tell our listeners how they can get more information about you and just be able to connect uh, with what you're doing. Ah, so um, I'm located in Austin, Texas. I work at Crossroads Counseling Associates. Um, currently, unfortunately, our website is down. We're redoing it, um, but I can be found. I have a Psychology Today page um, that, so if somebody Googles my name, MJ Dennis with one N, they can find me. Awesome. Well, MJ, we always appreciate just your insight and your experience and and having you on the program. So thank you for speaking into this area. I think it's going to help a lot of couples. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. This is an important topic and I'm so glad we're talking about it. Absolutely. And listeners, if you have just more questions or, or things that you want us to address, if you're a couple out there and you're struggling with this, we want to continue to walk with you. So please reach out to us. You can contact us at puresexradio.com or on Twitter at Pure Sex Radio. And we look forward to having you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.